Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to um, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, reading from verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, uh, God's special possession, another translation says, a people belonging to God, that you may declare... The praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. So Father, we come before you at this time in the name of Jesus and we thank you for your word. We thank you that every time we open the word, uh, it has the capacity to speak in the depth of our spirit, Lord God. It's our prayer today. We don't want to just hear another word. We, we, we pray that this, this word would become a revelation in our hearts that changes the way we think, that changes the way we behave, that changes the way we feel, the decisions, the choices, how we speak, Lord God. I pray this word would make a difference in our hearts and lives. Bind every work of the enemy. Bind every fear and intimidation in the name of Jesus. I thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word. Let our hearts be open to hear the voice of the Spirit above all else. And this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, There's a story about um, a man that was found beaten uh, and unconscious uh, in Georgia. Uh, Because he was beaten so badly, uh, he lost his memory. Uh, He didn't know who he was. Uh, He didn't know uh, who his family was, had no identification uh, on him. They stole everything uh, and uh, he had no clue who he was, um, had, um, uh, didn't know who his family was. Uh, FBI tried everything they possibly could uh, to locate uh, his identity, but could not find uh, anything. Uh, Dr. Phil, even Dr. Phil got involved uh, with the story, which is always, you know, it's a pretty serious case. Uh, so he did a whole show on, on this guy, uh, but no one claimed him. Uh, he had no clue who he was, and uh, despite all the investigations, no one claimed him. Took about 11 years of searching uh, before he finally uh, found out who he was. Imagine if that was you. Imagine you came to church on a Sunday, uh, you know who you are, you know your friends, you know your family, your past, uh, plans for the future, and something traumatic happens to you, uh, and when you wake up, you've got no clue who you are. Uh, when you wake up, you've forgotten everything about yourself, who your family is, who you are, where you work. You don't know anything about yourself. Imagine that happens to us. Well, here's the thing. One of the things the enemy's trying to do is erase our true identity. You may not even realize it, but there's a spiritual war going on for your identity and mine. For your true identity and my true identity. There's a, there's a war, there's a spiritual battle going on. Satan is trying to destroy your life and he does that by keeping you from knowing who you really are. Because he knows that if you, if you find out who you really are, 
then you're going to be used by God in a powerful way. So I want to speak about that today. I want to kind of unpack this whole uh, concept of identity. We're in a series entitled Building a Blessed Life. And the premise of the message is that God has promised that we can be blessed, that we can experience the blessing and the favor of God upon our lives. It's kind of a word that I've been thinking about for the year 2024. Paul said to the Galatians, he said, Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing, the promise of blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That includes you and me through Jesus Christ our Lord so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit Christ redeemed us so that the blessing the promise of blessing that was on Abraham can come to you and me and through Jesus the promise applies to all of us question is how can we experience the blessed life to help us understand that we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah the outside, it looks like a simple story uh, of the rebuilding of some walls. Um, but if you look a little deeper, the story speaks to us about how God restores our soul, how God restores the deepest part of us. We've said over the last few weeks, podcasts are available. You can go to YouTube and listen. We are body, soul and spirit. And um, um, uh, God sends Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, whose name means comforter, is a type of the Holy Spirit. And after giving our life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to restore our mind, our emotions and will. So in terms of the, the, the restoration process that happens in our lives, God always begins by restoring the Spirit. It's where it always begins. It begins by giving our life to Jesus Christ. If we're going to experience the blessed life, um, it, it begins by inviting Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Saviour. It begins by surrendering our life to Jesus. It, re, it begins by obeying the first and greatest of all the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's where the blessed life begins. Uh, uh, it doesn't begin with religion. It doesn't begin by following a set of principles. It doesn't begin by anything. It begins by, by giving our life to Jesus Christ. When the, when the Israelites re re returned back to Jerusalem, the first thing they did was reestablish the temple. They reestablished worship. They began to worship the Lord. That's where the blessed life actually begins. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And obeys his commands. It's where it begins. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's because the Lord is our shepherd. It's because we make a choice to allow him to be the shepherd of our lives. Then we experience the blessed life. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. I could give you scripture uh, after scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. No, no, no. We, we start with I want. These are the things that I want. No, the, the, there's a promise and a condition. Delight yourself in the Lord. Put Him in the first place. Seek after God in a greater way. And the result of that, the consequence of that, is we begin to experience the blessed life. And so, and so in terms of the restoration pro process, Israelites returned uh, to Jerusalem. They re-established the temple. They re-established temp temple worship. And then God sends Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's job was to restore the walls of Jerusalem. It speaks to us how, how God restores our, 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 our lives. It begins by restoring our spirit, giving our life to Jesus. And then God sends the Holy Spirit who begins to restore our soul, which we said last week includes our mind, uh, our emotions and our will. 
Most of the pain that we experience in life has got nothing to do with our body. We think, oh, uh, you know, physical pain is the worst pain. The greatest pain we experience is the pain in our minds, in our emotions, in our will. It's the pain in our soul. God sends Nehemiah, a type of the spirit who begins to restore the walls uh, of the soul. And one of the ways he does that, one of the ways that God restores our soul is by revealing our true identity in Christ. No person can behave in a way that is inconsistent with who they think they are. If we think we're a nobody, we're going to act like a nobody, talk like a nobody, behave like a nobody. Our speech is going to be like that. And as a result, people are going to treat us in a certain way. And that, 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 that behavior or the way people treat us confirms our identity and only serves to reinforce it. If we think we're weak, ugly, dumb, worthless, all these things will affect how we live our lives. The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that if we have a healthy view of ourselves, we're going to be more effective. The enemy knows if we have a negative view of ourselves, it's going to limit us. So he has a lifelong mission to distort and undermine our true identity. And in order to do that, he uses a lot of different tools. He's got some tools at his disposition to try to distort our identity. He uses the opinions of other people. He uses what people have said over our lives. You know, there's the old saying that says, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true. It's not true. Because words can hurt us. Words can have a profound effect on our lives. Sometimes it's the words that have been repeated again and again and again. Sometimes it's just one phrase that one person has said. One phrase that a significant person has declared over our lives that we just can't seem to get past. He uses hurts and pain to disguise your true identity because if he can get you resentful and bitter and, and, and twisted and, and, uh, it, because that, that can become your identity. Satan uses the media. He uses culture. We underestimate the power of the media and culture to undermine our true identity. He's, he uses the media to say, you should be wearing this. You should be looking like this. This is, this is who you need to be. You really want to be somebody. This is what you need to look like. And he's bombarding, bombarding, bombarding. We talked about that last week. It's 30 times a day. Messages are coming. The ads on TV, they just keep on coming. You know, <laughs> you know and, and we have not been affected by any of those ads, have we? No. We just know who the fresh food people are, don't we? <laughs> we just know who they are. It's Coles, of course. <laughs> we, we, we haven't been affected by any... Well, of course we've been affected by all of that. And, and that's the obvious, but there's a subtle influence happening in our hearts and in our lives. And the number one tool that Satan uses in our life to distort our identity is to plant an idea in our mind. doesn't matter where it comes from. And if, we can get us, and if he can get us to believe it, that's the only power he has. He has no other power than to plant a seed and get you to buy into it. Because he knows that if we, can, if we believe that thought, we will repeat it over and over and over again in our mind until it becomes part of our identity. We will do the work in, in uh, wiring it up in our brain and that will affect our future. 
How can we know what our true identity is? Pascal said this, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of our life, the meaning of, uh, of our death, the meaning of God, or the meaning of ourselves. It's only in Christ. Phrase in Christ is used about 140 times in the Bible, and it describes who we really are describes our identity. So what I want to do today is just look at five of these phrases. You go to Ephesians chapter one. You want to know what your identity is in Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter one and just read chapter, the, the first chapter, the first couple of chapters. In, and you, what, circle all the times the word in Christ appears. And every single time that word appears, it's going to describe what your identity and my identity actually is. So what I want to do today is actually look at the text that we read in Peter, and it says this about our identity. I want to pick five of these, and there's quite a number. If you want to know what they are, just Google Neil Anderson, uh, who I am in Christ, and it'll come up, and uh, I'm sure something will come up. He's written on this subject on a number of occasions, and you'll see a list of all the things that describe what our identity in Christ is. But here, let's take this Peter scripture that says, but you are. Everybody say, but you are. Just turn to the person next to you and say, but you are. This is what you are. But you are a chosen people. And say you might be, you could be. Be nice if you were. But you are. It's written in the emphatic. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. Once you were not a people, once you had no clue who you were, once you were a nobody, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So embedded in this verse are five aspects of our identity that I want to kind of expand on a little bit. So let's look at these in more detail. Number one, I'm accepted. I'm completely accepted. I am completely accepted. But you are a chosen people. In Christ, I am a completely accepted. I'm completely accepted. This is so important. Peter says, but you're a chosen people. It's important to know this because all of us have been hurt and wounded in life. Um... It's one of the byproducts of living in a world uh, of sin. Uh, we will experience wounds. If you haven't experienced any wounds yet, God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> uh, hang in there. Uh, they're coming, all right? Um, uh, uh, one of the byproducts of this life is we, we're going we're gonna to experience hurts and wounds in our life. You know, uh, you know when you're in your teens and 20s, you think you're the only one that's been wounded. Oh, I've been wounded. My friends wounded me. This situation wounded me and hurt me. And, and we got to kind of work. We got to work through those things. But one of the things you start to realize in life that wounds and hurts, they just keep on coming. And I think one of the greatest things that we can, we, we need to develop in our lives is an attitude of forgiveness. It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. 
It's a, it's a, there's an understanding that comes, you know what, not only are people going to hurt me, I'm going I'm to hurt people too, so hang in there, you know, you're not, the, you're not, the, you're not perfect yourself, you're going to hurt. And the greatest thing that we can do is develop a lifestyle of forgiveness. Because if I start to nurse a grudge and if I start to feed and go to lunch with that grudge and if I start to spend time with it, it's just going to grow and grow. It's going to become a root of bitterness that's going to defile not only my life, but also the lives of many. The greatest thing that we can do is move as quickly as we can to forgiveness. It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. It's an attitude of forgiveness. Uh, you know, the Bible says that the, um, uh, that, that the offense is a trap. It's a trap that the enemy sets uh, for us. Uh, uh, it's, it's a snare, the Bible says. When somebody hurts you, it's a trap that the enemy uses uh, to try to get you, to try to rob you of your heart, to try to get you to turn away from what it is that God has called you to do. And so often we are really hurt. The person was nasty, what they said, blah, 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 blah. All of that's true. And, and, and we buy into that trap and we stay there for a long time. Greatest thing that we can do is move to forgiveness. Is move to forgiveness. Pastor Joe, that's not easy to do. Absolutely. It's only by the grace of God. It's not natural to forgive. What's natural is revenge. Can I hear an amen? Juicy revenge. It's amazing how creative people can be when they think about, oh, I'm not a creative type uh, until revenge. <laughs> Suddenly the creative juices just start flowing. <laughs> Greatest thing that we can do is forgive. I choose by the grace of God to forgive them. It's a choice you make with your will. It's not natural to forgive. The you know, best way to forgive is, is I, I make a choice with my will. I choose by the grace of God to forgive those that have hurt me. Pastor Joe, but the feeling hasn't gone away. I choose, every time the feeling comes, every time the thought comes, I choose by the grace of God. I choose by the grace of God to forgive. And, you know, over the last few weeks, I've been drawing, you know, the walls of, of Jerusalem and there's gaps and, and so on. And, and sometimes those gaps in the wall are, are wounds. How do, we, how do we close those gaps? One of the ways we do that is through forgiveness. I choose by the grace of God. To forgive those who have hurt me. All of us have been wounded in life and one of the deepest wounds is the wound of rejection. Um, we've all been rejected at home, at work, at school. Um, one, of the, one of the fundamental um, human needs that we have is acceptance. Um, and the problem is we look at it. We look for it in all the wrong places. We try and get acceptance from what we do, from how we look, from what we have. And, and we just want to fit in. But none of that ever satisfies the deepest need that we have in our spirit to just feel accepted. Um, have you ever looked at the pictures of people in the 70s, what they were wearing in the 70s? Uh, those flares that they were wearing, I mean, they were wide, man. They were half a meter wide. And the, the funny part is that they used to have pleats in the middle with buttons as well. Some of you still got some of those clothes at home and you wish you could wear them. Uh, why did they wear those crazy clothes? Uh, the only reason why they wore them is because everybody else was wearing them and they just wanted to be accepted by everybody. It's the only crazy reason why you would wear that stuff. You wouldn't wear it if you're, you know, you're right mind. <laughs> uh, the pain of not being accepted is profound. Some of you can still remember being picked last in the playground. That was me. I wasn't good at sport and they'd line us up on the wall and yeah, yeah, I'd always be the last. Everybody'd say, oh, no, no. Um, 
And thank you for the for the the comfort. You make me feel really good. I could feel it. I could feel it. Um, being chosen, on the other hand, is a nice thing. Makes you feel good when you're chosen. Doesn't make you feel good when you're rejected. And the good news is we don't have to chase acceptance. Here's the good news. The good news is we don't have to chase acceptance. Paul, Peter says in, in our text, he says, but you're a chosen people. This is what you are. You are, you are chosen in God. Jesus says, you're on my team. I want you with me. You're valuable to me. I don't care if you feel that or not. But in Christ, this is the truth about you and me. It's the truth about it. Paul says to the Ephesians, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and his life. He chose us even before the creation of the world. He chose you and he chose me. Before God chose to make the planets and the solar system. He chose us. Don't have to get acceptance from other things because you're accepted in Christ. Man, man, I'm, I'm chosen. I am accepted in Jesus Christ. I am accepted. I'm chosen by God. But you are a, a chosen people. Man, everything inside of us says, no, I'm not accepted. I'm, that's, that's the message that the enemy brings. That's the message we've been repeating to ourselves again and again and again, 30 times a day. I, I don't measure up. I, I, I should try harder. I should. No, that's not our identity, the Bible says. But you're a, you're a chosen people. You're chosen by God. And the thing that we need to, we need to, re, we talked about rewiring of the brain last week. I think we need to re, repeat again and again. I am, I'm accepted and chosen in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm loved and accepted by God. I'm chosen by God in Jesus' name. Would you say that with me? I am chosen by God. One more time. I am chosen by God. One more time. I am chosen by God. I'm chosen. He's chosen me. We were lining up on the wall. I was there and Jesus was picking the team and he said to me, Joe, you're on the team. And I was so happy. He chose you. Picked you on the team as well. He picked every single one of us on the team. In Christ, we are picked on the team. I'm chosen. I don't have to chase acceptance. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what my enemies think of me. I don't care what's been spoken over my life. In Christ Jesus, I am chosen by God. And that gives me worth and value. Gives me worth and value. Number two, I'm called by God. Peter goes on to say, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Back in Bible times, only the Levites were called in the priestly service. Only some people were part of the royal families. And there were more people excluded than included. Peter here, in this verse, he says, come on, he says, you are, not you might be, not you could be, he says, you are a royal priesthood. Man, that's powerful. I'm royalty. And I'm a priesthood. I'm a priest in the name of Jesus. The royal priesthood speaks of two things. The royal component speaks about authority. The kings had authority in those days. You know, whoever was king, the king made the rules. The king had the power. And, uh, and that speaks about authority. I'm a royal priesthood. If I'm, if I'm royalty, it means I have authority. And the priesthood speaks about the anointing. There's an anointing on my life. You know, um, 
And so often we think, oh, it's the pastors that have the anointing. Whoever's leading has the authority. And we kind of, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not included. They have all of this. But what this is saying, I am a royal priesthood. That means I have authority in the spiritual realm. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven because you have authority. The enemy wants to, wants to keep that authority and that identity from us. And he wants to, no, you don't have any authority. No, you're a nobody. You're a nothing. We're a royal priesthood. God has a plan for your life and you're included. Here at Life, we say, Every member's a minister. Pastor Danny shared about that a few weeks ago. Every, every, every person is called by God. If you're breathing, you know, it's because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. You're not the product of some cosmic bang with no purpose whatsoever. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Um, people ask me at times, how many pastors do you have at church? The right answer to that question is over 600. Come on, over 600 ministers in this church. Turn to the person next to you, just tell them you're a pastor. Hello, pastor. If you know their name, just say, hello, pastor so-and-so. Uh-huh. Turn to the other person now, the one you weren't sure about. Tell them as well. Come on. You say to them as well, they're a pastor too. They're in Christ. Every member's a minister. Every member's a servant. Every member's called by God. Every member's a priest. Every member has a vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin word voce. It means voice, vocalize. Hence the word calling. It's about the voice, the spoken word. Your vocation is your calling and God has a unique plan for your life. Pilate was questioning Jesus' identity and he said to Jesus, are you the king of Jews? Are you, are you really a royal priesthood? Are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king for this cause. I was born. I love that phrase. For this reason I was born. For this reason I was born. For this cause. I was born for a cause. I was born for a reason. And for this cause I've come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Man, after coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, um, the, the, the greatest thing that you can, you can know is, is, is the reason why, why you're alive, why you're breathing, what God has called you to do on the face of the earth. I've said this before, but if evolution is true, then, the, then, the, then the, the greatest thing that we can hope for in the world is that we will have children. Those children might start growing a third arm or a fourth arm or a few other eyes. We're going to need them in the future. You know, if you're going to text and drive, you want to be able to have a few sets of eyes. You know, that's the best you can hope for. Seriously. But that's not the truth. The truth is. That God has created us for such a time as this. That we were created by God. We are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. Created to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're set apart by the grace of God to do what He's called us to do. What a great affirmation to tell yourself every day. I'm gifted and anointed by God to do that which God has called me to do. I am gifted and anointed by God to do that which God has called me to do. This phrase has helped me a lot. Because many times in my life, I've tried to do what someone else has been called to do. Uh, I've tried to do what, what, what's on someone else's life. Oh, that would be good. I wish I could do that. And, 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 I've, and I've been declaring this over my own life. I am gifted and I am anointed by God to do what He has called me to do. 
And you know, there's a, there's a phrase that, that, that has spoken to me when I was, was quite young and in my teenage, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. I've been doing, I've done stuff that God did not call me to do. I don't want to ever go there again. God has created you perfectly to do that which he has called you to do. And the closer you get to God, the more you press into God, the more intimately you know God, the more you discover about yourself and the more God speaks to you about your calling. The clo- Pastor Joe, what do I need to do to understand? I don't know what my calling is. The greatest thing that you can do is just press into God. Press in. you, you, you don't seek after your calling, you seek after God. And as you seek, Lord, I just want to know you. I want to draw near. As you, as you get closer to God, as you know God deeply, you will know yourself more deeply. And the call of God will become there. Number three, I'm holy. But you're a holy nation. God says you're a holy nation. One of the things that we think excludes us from the love of God, of the call of God, all of our dysfunctions and mistakes in our life. We say, God could never use me. I'm so dysfunctional. I've got problems. I've got issues. I've got stuff. My life's a mess. And I love this problem, this, this promise, because God says to you and me, you're a holy nation. That scripture in Ephesians says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to do what? To be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless in his sight, in love. What does it mean to be holy? When it comes to holiness, we have all these preconceived ideas about what that means. And the word holy actually means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. Everybody else is doing this, but this is holy. You're holy. You're set apart for a specific task. Um, to be holy means to be a cut above. It means everybody else is doing that, but I'm going to be doing this. Why, why is Djokovic the number one tennis player in the world? I tell you why. He's, he's a cut above. He could do a whole bunch of other things. He could eat a whole bunch of other foods. He chooses not to do any of that because he's a cut above. He wants to win the prize. Or lots of them. <laughs> Why am I not the number one tennis player in the world? <laughs> Let me help you. Let me, maybe we can think about it, what that might be. Because I don't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning and practice tennis. Because I, I, I like the occasional sweets. Just... I like the occasional chocolate ice cream. I do. I just, <laughs> and I'm not willing to give it up for tennis. I'm not willing to get up for anything. Listen, listen to what the Bible says. Paul, Paul says, run the race, run, run, run the race in such a way so that you win the prize. What's that talking about? It's saying, be a cut, be holy, be set apart, be a cut above. One other word that, that we could talk about that another time, but one of, the, one of the derivatives of the word holy is the word wholeness. Wholeness. So often we attribute holiness to God. We say God is holy. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is holy. But God says you are a holy nation. Um, that God chose us to be holy. God says to you and me that in Christ we are holy. That means that through Jesus we can be free of all the things that are holding us back. We can be set apart. We can be a cut above spiritually. We can be righteous before God. doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done. We could start again. Come on, how many, how many people are so grateful that in Christ we get to start again? In, in, that in Christ we get a second chance, we get a third chance. In Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter uh, where we've been. 
We can be holy and righteous through Jesus. You can't make yourself holy. You can't discipline yourself. Oh, I'm gonna, this year, this is going to be the year I'm going to be holy. No, you can't, you can't make yourself holy. It's an act of grace. It's God, God's grace that helps us to be holy. See, some people might say, but Pastor Joe, I have given my life but I'm, to Jesus, but I'm still struggling. And there's a sense that we will, we will always have a battle with the sin nature. And, and, and uh, the Bible speaks to us about this. And in relation to holiness, we are holy. We are becoming holy. One day we shall be holy. We are holy in Christ Jesus. We are becoming holy. One day we shall be holy in glory. Um, and the question is this. Do, do, do we see ourselves as holy? Or do we see ourselves as dysfunctional? It's a little bit, you know, Pastor Joe, I don't understand. It's a little bit like the person that studies to be an engineer. They study four years, whatever it is. Um, and at the end of that four-year process, they are an engineer. Technically, they are an engineer. They can register with the Engineering Association of Australia. I don't know if that exists. But they, they can put on their business card, I am an engineer. How many people know they're not quite an engineer just yet? Technically, they are an engineer. But then over the next few years, they become an engineer. You know, I am a bricklayer. I've done trade school. But then you, be, you become, the bricks get straighter and straighter them as the years go by. It's the same with us. We are holy. It begins by I am holy. I'm not, my identity is not dysfunction. My identity is holy. And by the grace of God, I am becoming more and more holy every single day. As I open myself up to the Holy Spirit. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus every day. The question is, do we see ourselves as dysfunctional or do we see ourselves as holy? Peter says, but you are a holy nation. Come on, you're a holy nation. We will always be involved in a struggle with the flesh, but in Christ we can, be, we can forgive all those that have hurt us. In Christ we can be forgiven. In Christ we can be holy. Number four, I'm loved by God. Peter goes on to say, but you're a God's special possession. One translation says, you're a people belonging to God. Some of the greatest needs we have are acceptance, belonging, and love. The three great needs that each one of us has is acceptance, belonging, and love. These are the fundamental needs that we all need in ourselves, and they can, can all be met in Christ Jesus. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says the heavens opened, the Spirit descended, and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my Son, whom I love. And with him, I'm well pleased. What a, what a, what a beautiful description. The, inter the interesting thing about this, when, when God the Father declared that over Jesus, um, it was before his ministry actually began. At that time, he hadn't healed the sick, preached sermons, gathered the crowds, raised the dead. Before he did any ministry, God the Father says about his son, this is my son, whom I love. The one that I've chosen, with him I'm well pleased. It's powerful words. When God says, I love you, some of us think, oh, he'll love me if I pray. He'll love me. He'll love me if I do good. If I please him, if I, if I come to church, if I, if I give my tithe, oh, he's going to love me. If I help the poor. That's not what the text says. <laughs> When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we become children of God. And those words that God spoke to Jesus are the very words that God wants to speak to us. 
This is my son. You're my son. You're my daughter. Whom I love. With him, with her, I am well pleased. I wonder, has anyone ever spoken those words over your life? What would it be like for you to hear someone speak those words over your life? Some of you have heard the opposite. Not, I don't love you. Not pleased with you at all. Try harder. But these words are powerful. It's my son whom I love. And with him I'm well pleased. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. You never need to ask if God loves me. One of his, his nature is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's love is unconditional. It's not fickle. It's not unpredictable. God doesn't have bad hair days. Can I hear an amen? Doesn't wake up in the morning on the wrong side of the bed. Praise the Lord. His love is unending, everlasting, and it's unfailing. Number five, I am totally forgiven. Peter goes on to say, once you, were, once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's mercy has given us God's forgiveness. That means that God has forgiven us. Of all of our sins, Paul says to the Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. There's that word again, lavished. Last week we talked about how God has lavished his love on us. And here the text is saying that God has lavished his grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. That means that when God forgives, he doesn't partially forgive, he totally forgives. Greatest challenge is God forgives us, but we struggle to forgive ourselves. We struggle to forgive others. But God has forgiven us. And, and, and dealing with that begins by understanding, getting a revelation that we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. reason why we struggle with all of this is understanding God's love is because and forgiveness is because we struggle to forgive. When we say we forgive someone, we, we've got a little black book in our pocket. We take it out. I forgive you. I just need to write it in my little book here just in case I ever need this again. <laughs> and then when they make another mistake, we Oh, here it is. Do you remember in 1940s, <laughs> it was a Thursday at 12 o'clock. <laughs> When God forgives it, He erases us. He wipes it out. He destroys it. Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. And when we understand that, we can start to get a revelation of our identity in Christ. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you, once you had no identity, once you didn't have a clue who you were, no clue where you came from, where you're going, why you exist. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Now you have an identity. What does that identity look like? But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Pastor Joe, I don't see myself as holy. I'm struggling. Begin to see us. Begin to declare over your life. I'm in Christ Jesus. I am holy. I'm not holy because I'm disciplined. I'm not holy because I'm smart. I'm not holy because of me. In Christ, I am holy. 
I am disciplined in Christ. He gives me the ability to be holy. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Pastor Joe, how does it become a reality in our lives? Know the truth. Know the truth. Believe the truth. And then confess the truth. Continue to speak it out until it becomes a revelation in our hearts and lives. If we're going to experience the blessed life, we need to understand our identity in Christ. The question is, how do you see yourself? What kind of perception do you have? What words have been spoken over your life that have become a stronghold in your mind? That have declared who you are? That influence how you see the world, how you see yourself, the decisions that you make? What words have been spoken over your life that affect you every single day of your life? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? We need to understand that our identity has been stolen. And we need to get it back. There are different ways that we can do it. But the greatest way is look to Jesus, who is the true source of confidence. We stand on His promises. We remember we're called. God has a plan. We're holy, loved, forgiven. And in so doing, the byproduct of understanding and beginning to walk in our identity in Christ, the byproduct of that is our life becomes blessed. We begin to experience the blessed life. Will you stand with me? I was listening to Christine Kane and uh, she found out when she was in her mid-30s that she was adopted and uh, it, uh, it shook her. It shook her identity. But she'd already been a Christian for over 12 years and she said it was tough, but, but she already had a grounding in her identity in Christ. And she says, in a world where everything is shaken, in a world where everything is being shaken, chaos, Knowing who you are in Christ as a son or daughter of God will transform you. It will keep you grounded in a world um, that is doing everything it can to tell you what your identity actually is. I just pray that this has become a revelation and a pursuit. Come to Christ. Give your life to Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, why don't you do that today? Pastor Joe, what do I have to do? Do I have to join a church? Do I have to join a religion? You have to do none of that. The Bible doesn't speak about church or religion. The Bible speaks about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do I do that? You pray a simple prayer that says something like this. In fact, if you want to give your life to Jesus, why don't you pray this prayer as I'm praying it right now? A derivative of these words. Just pray this prayer in your heart, Lord Jesus. I give my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I give my life to you. I turn from my life and turn towards you. I give my past to you. Help me to be everything that you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name. The greatest thing that you can do is give your life to Jesus Christ. And after, after giving your life to Jesus, the greatest thing that we can do is get a revelation of our identity in Christ Jesus. 
And I pray that that would be the case today. That as we, as we, as we read the scriptures, as we know the Bible, as we know the truth, believe the truth, begin to confess the truth, that it would become a revelation in our hearts and transform how we live our lives. It's beautiful. Listen, this is not just theory. It's not just theory. It's not just another sermon. This, the understanding your identity in Christ has the capacity to transform your life. You start to see yourself differently. Occasionally you get those doubts. Oh, who do you think you are? I understand those, those temptations are going to come, but they don't stick when you understand your identity. Oh, I'm loved by God. God loves me. He loves me. I am accepted in Christ Jesus. I am forgiven in Christ. I'm chosen. He picked me. I'm loved. I'm loved by God. And I'm forgiven by His grace and for His glory. In Jesus' name. So, Father, I just pray, sweep across this congregation. Thank you for your word. Truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But if you believe the lie, it's going to keep you bound. Father, we bind every work of the enemy that has tried to keep us from, our, from knowing our identity in Christ Jesus. We bind every work of the enemy that has sought to distort our identity in Christ. I just pray that it would become a revelation in the name of Jesus. I pray that by your Spirit, it would be, Holy Spirit, just come and let these ideas, these concepts, simple concepts, become a revelation. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His glorious. Once you were not a, a people, but now you are a people. Once you were a nobody, but now you're a somebody. Once you had no identity, no clue who you were, but now you have an identity in Christ Jesus. Let that become a revelation that transforms our lives. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You've been an amazing congregation. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Amen.